0: a nutshell in one verse so you pay attention to that and then listen to the rest of the text so we're going to read tonight or this this morning rather from john chapter 3 verses 16 through verse 21 and then we'll remain standing for prayer john chapter 3 beginning of verse 16 for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. That light is come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light. Because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil. Hateth the light. Neither cometh to the light. Lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth. Cometh to the light. That his deeds may be made manifest. That they are wrought in God. May God bless his word. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, we uh, come before you today, this morning, and we lift up many that are ailing in in this body of believers, uh, many going through some really dark waters, difficult times, we pray that you would sustain them and allow, in each of these circumstances, we pray that uh, folks would seek you out, that you would be glorified, we thank you, Lord, that your, your grace is sufficient and I pray father that that would be a theme that in our circumstances would ever be forefront on our mind as the devil attempts us to get to get us away from that that your grace is some for some reason not sufficient so father help us to understand your grace is sufficient but that we need to run to you we need to flee to you. To get your grace. We need your grace. Without you, without your grace, we can do nothing. So, Father, we just lift all the different folks up to you without going into a long list. We ask you, Lord, to minister to those situations. Show yourself strong and be glorified. And then we ask you, bless our time in your word. Help us, Father, to understand the importance of not covering our sin And what that means. And so we ask your blessing today in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated. What a great song. What a great theme. I run to Christ. Unfortunately, we don't always run to Christ, do we? But he's there for us. Waiting for us. I'm glad you're here today. Uh, Today is going to be our last in a three-part message. That we started uh, two Sundays ago. On covering sin. And uh, we want to. We have a lot to say about it. It's one of the. It's one of those things where, like many things, there are certain topics, certain verses in Scripture that may seem sometimes to be talking about the exact same thing, and yet they seem to contradict. Uh, one topic might have a couple different verses, and if you don't keep them in context, uh, like many people do, they'll they'll they'll. Walk away from the Bible and say, you know, the Bible just contradicts. It's so filled with errors. Uh, And I would challenge that. You know, most people that have that attitude, they've already made up their minds. And and, um, there's a great book, uh, and there's been a whole bunch of them. We're talking about books. Uh, There's a book that was put together by Gleason Archer years ago. It's been updated, and it's called The Encyclopedia of Bible Difficulties. It's about that thing. Now, again, there are multitudes of books like this that will go through I pre- especially appreciate this one I've been rereading it um, and it's just you know there's all these supposed contradictions that people have there are just some some so many are just simple answers but you have to want to know if if you want to go into the bible and you you you're presupposing that it's it's just filled with lies you're not going to take the time uh, and unfortunately the implications of that are going to be disastrous for you, for eternity's sake. So I submit to you, the Bible can be trusted. The Bible is true, and you and I need to approach it that way. So here's this concept that we've been talking about, about covering sin. Is it a good thing, or is it a bad thing? Some verses, it seems to say, it's a good thing. Love covers a multitude of sins. So... Uh, you know, we could go with that and run with it and say in every scenario, in every situation, it is always loving to cover sin. But you and I would be running in our wrong direction. And we'd be ripping some verses out of context. Because then there's other verses that says, like Proverbs, what we're going to look at today, He that covers his sin shall not prosper. Wait a minute! Is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? Well, we've been looking at that. So two weeks ago... We looked at the general idea of something called the atonement, which was in the Old Testament. The way God dealt with sins through Israel was that uh, was through the um, Day of Atonement. And they would offer a blood sacrifice, and that sacrifice would um, basically was how God re- uh, reconciled the Jews or anyone else that came to Him through through the blood. But it was never sufficient. It would It would, in a sense, cover their sins for the past year, but then the next day of atonement, a year from there they'd have to do it the same same thing. because the blood of bulls and goats, Hebrews chapter 10 says, can never take away sins. But you see, that was a type. The only reason God did that, did did that, did that, did that was he was, he was going he was for, foreshadowing what Jesus Christ would do by coming as the spotless Lamb of God and dying on the cross, and his shed blood could take away sins forever. And it does. And so the only reason that God could accept the Jews of the Old Testament before Christ with that blood sacrifice was because they were believing him. They didn't know all the detail. They didn't know Jesus was going to come and fulfill. They just knew God said, this is what you have to do. We take this seriously. We know we have sin. And the sin needs to be addressed. And so every year they'd come, the the, the Day of Atonement, and just by believing what God had revealed, they could be reconciled to God. Because God knew that He was going to send Jesus Christ to do the work. Now, here you and I are, we're on the other side. We are so fortunate. We are so blessed. We get to look back, and we know the Messiah, we know His name, Jesus Christ. We know what He did. We know that his sacrifice, he was the perfect lamb of God. We know that he he took care of our sins once and for all, Hebrews 10 says. Once and for all. So that our sins, not on a yearly basis, our sins are completely, once we deal with God, and that shed blood of Jesus Christ, once we get saved, the Bible term, born again, then our sins are washed. Not just our past sins like the Jews all of our sins so that romans 8 says there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in christ jesus what a blessing that's the best way to have your sin dealt with now last week we looked at since it was you know valentine's day week we looked at the the positive verses about covering sin and that he that you know the the, over and over again the bible says that when you know love covers a multitude of transgressions he that seeketh love will cover a transgression. That in our relationships, if we're going to benefit from one another, if we're going to love one another, if we're going to, you know, be able to put up with one another, we got to be willing to cover other people's sins and overlook them. You know, you, if if you don't, and if people don't do that for you, you're, you're never going to have any friends, are you? You know. So that was last week. Now, what we want to look at today is this. There is a verse, I mentioned it, Proverbs, that says, He that covers his sin shall not prosper. There are people that sin, but they will not come to terms with their sin. They'll deny that they are sinners. And that's why I want us to go to John chapter 3, beginning verse 16. So take your Bibles, go to John chapter 3, open it up please to verse 16. And so today's topic is covering sin and confession. Let me give you the outline, and in fact, um, and then we'll just jump right in. We're going to see three things today from this text. John chapter 3, uh, verses 16 through 21. First of all, and and most of them were found, our verses, our, our points are verse 19, 20, and 21. Verse 19, the motivation for covering sin. The Bible says this is condemnation. This is the condemnation. That light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. That's a blanket statement that applies across the board. And that's why it is natural for people to want to cover their sin. To be able to cover their failures. To be able to ignore or even deny their own sin. And it's not you alone that struggles with it. It's everyone. And then number two, we're going to see the reluctance to uncover sin. And that's verse 20. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. If you would rather come across... As being a good p- person, a good guy, a good gal, or you would rather come across as having all kinds of faults. Which would you choose? Which would you? Which of you? Who of you would say? You know, I would rather people understand <laughs> how blemished I am. No, we all want to, we're, we're all like, you know what? I, everyone wants to put their best foot forward. Everyone wants others to, to see the good in them. If there is any good, right? We want people to think well of us. And because of that, there's the danger of presenting a faultless appearance. And there's multitudes of people that you talk to them. uh, They do not believe that they have sinned. They really do. It's hard for us. You know, I've been in in, in our circles, Bible-believing circles, for a long time now. But um, there's a lot of religions that you know are so, so focused on good works that they actually have their adherents believing that they're good people. And the very concept that well, I'm a sinner, that's offensive. Let's see what God has to say. And then thirdly, uh, so first we have the motivation for covering sin, verse 19. The reluctance to uncover sin, verse 20. And then we have the key to uncovering sin, which is verse 21. And that has to do with confession, coming to the light. So let's jump in. Look at verse 19. The motivation for covering sin. In fact, let's back up to verse 17. Verse 16 is one most of you know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Now look at verse 17. For... God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now, there's a lot of people that will look at that, and they'll read it, and they'll want to stop right there. God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world. See, Jesus didn't come to condemn us. He came to save us. Jesus loves everyone. And, and see, see, this is his ministry. Jesus was just a good teacher. And he loved everyone. And he said, we're all okay. I'm okay. You're okay. And they would get that from that verse. If they stopped. Right? The important thing about reading the Bible, you've got to read the context. Is that the end of the statement? Is that a, a, a you know, this covers everything? That, that God sent not a son of the world to condemn the world? You know, Jesus is nothing about condemnation. There's When it comes to God, he doesn't condemn anyone. He's all He just gives us all a big wink. Says, you just go on your way. You're fine. I'm good. You're good. Is that the gospel? Well, that's what you could get if you fixated on verse 17. God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. So when Jesus came, his primary mission was not to condemn. But is that saying that he's never going to condemn anyone? Now let's read on. But that the world through him might be saved. Verse 18 now. Verse 18 and 19. Clarify verse 17. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not on him, that's Jesus, is condemned already. Because he had not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now this is so important. Because this, this is what condemnation is. He's about ready to identify it. But I want you to notice that Bible terminology is critical. Is this saying, like so many people believe, that we all start out okay with God? And that we have to... Do something to really get him mad to be not okay. Now, if that was the case, the wording of verse 18 would be different. I'm going to read through verse 18 again, and I want you to notice what it does not say. Look at verse 18, follow along. He that believeth on him is not condemned already. But he that believeth not is condemned. Excuse me, yeah, that's right. So he that believeth on him is not condemned already. But he that believeth not is condemned. See, there's only one statement. The word already only applies to one group of people. And it's either how you get started, and then there's the change. See, you and I do not start off right. We don't start off right. We are born sinners. And you have to respond to the gospel by believing to not be condemned. In other words, the person who is inactive, who does not respond to the to the gospel, is condemned already. You get what that's saying? That's critical. It's only used to talk about one group of people. And that is, this is the gospel, folks, is that we don't start out okay. And then... You know, everybody starts out okay and it's only when you get really bad. No. You and I, before we believe, we are condemned already. Now now he explains it. Verse 19. Now we jump into our, our message here. And this is the condemnation. Judgment. Punishment. This is the condemnation. That light is coming to the world... And men love darkness. This is generic, mankind, understand that. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Again, this is telling us we don't start off okay, we start off wrong. We're born in trespasses and sins. And that's why Jesus said in this very text to Nicodemus, You must be born again. If you're not born again, You're not right. You are condemned already. You got that? I mean, that's the the importance is, when I talk to people, I say, you know, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, I've always been a Christian. Oh, really? Well, according to the Bible, you've always been a sinner. You and I are born as sinners. We need to be born again. And that's how you become a Christian. So if you've just, in other words, in the Bible, it paints it this way. Without giving you scripture, and there's a bunch of scriptures to back this up. You are either, when you're first born, you're born in Adam. And that's all of us when we start out. We are born in trespasses and sin. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, that was Adam, death by sin. So death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. We are all born sinners. We need to be taken out of Adam and, and put into Christ. That's what being born again is. So when you started out, when you were born, you were born in Adam. It was your condition. You're a sinner, you're born a sinner. And the only way to become a Christian is you have to be born again. And it's not through a religious ceremony. It's not through being baptized or, you know, through this ordinance or sacrament. It is through repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ, believing on the Lord. That's how simple it is. So again, verse 17, For God sent not a son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, But he that believeth not is condemned already. Do you see that? That That puts the ball in everyone's court. That if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you are already in a condition where you're condemned. Your response is, you need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, this tells us, uh, and again now we look at verse 19, this is condemnation that light is coming to the world, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. You and I started out with with being sinners. Now listen, the kids in our nursery are not murderers. They haven't had a chance to get really bad. I mean, there's some, I want to say, we don't have that many kids, and they're all pretty precious, but they're still sinners. Their parents will tell you, still sinners, you know. I'm not saying that. I'm not accusing any of our kids of being, you know, being unincorrigible. But you, you know how it is. I mean, kids kids are sinners. That's how they start out. And folks, we don't get better over time. We just develop. We, we develop the ability that, okay, you know what? I can't, as an adult, if I'm not getting my way, I can't fall down on the ground and kick my legs and hands around and scream. Now, some adults come really close to that, but they don't. Because they really just be counterproductive, you know. And yet they'll still have temper tantrums, but they're just a little covered. Because we know, okay, there's certain ways to act. But folks, we're all, we're all sinners. And it is a natural tendency for us to cover or conceal our sin. To always come across better than we are. That's why Proverbs chapter 28 verse 13 says... He that covers his sin shall not prosper. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.13, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his God's sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Love that phrase. All things are wide open to the gaze of the one with whom we have to deal with. That's God. Understand that. There was a situation in the Old Testament where there was a discrepancy, a disagreement between some of the tribes and a couple of the leaders. And one of the tribes misunderstood what some of the other tribes were doing and going across the Jordan and all. And they met together uh, and, and there was just suspicion around the whole thing because they interpreted the actions of these the other group that crossed the Jordan as being uh, you know, aggressive to them. And this state, they made this statement. This is an important statement. Because on the other side, when they were accused, they said, no, that is not our motivation. They tried to defend themselves. And then the other people, there was a statement. Be sure your sin will find you out. Now, that was a statement that came from somebody that was not trusting someone else. It was like, are you telling me the truth? You better, because you're, be sure your sin will find you out. And, of course, it ended up that, that you know, they're they're... They were not doing what they were suspected of doing. But what a great statement. Be sure your sin will find you out. You and I are going to answer to God for our sin. And so what do we immediately do? If you've ever had the opportunity to present the gospel to someone, you will notice that it is very natural for people to defend themselves. If they haven't accepted God's... um, god's statement on them and and i did the same thing first time i heard the gospel i, I began to in, un, understand that this guy that was witnessing to me was insinuating that i somehow am not good enough for heaven and um and i immediately went through my laundry list which i had done apparently in my mind a million times he didn't know who he was talking to i was an altar boy on top of that i was a boy scout You top that. Top that. You get the idea, right? And I had to come face to face with my own wicked heart. And the verse that sealed the deal to me was in James chapter 2. It's either 10 or 13. It says, Whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he's guilty of all. I'm sitting there trying to Talk about all the good things I've done and all the, the good deeds I've done. And I wasn't going to mention that I was not perfect. But if it only takes one violation of God's commandments to condemn us, we're doomed. And, and I knew that I had done more than one sin in my life. you know. And if you, you'd be honest, you'd say you, you're the same way. And so only when you and I are, are condemned according to God's law are we coming to the light. Perfect example, we looked at this recently, was Achan. Was he the last week or the week before that? Uh, Achan committed a sin secretly and God uh, was going to judge all of Israel because of it. There's another example uh, in the scriptures of um, David committing a sin and he had a, a, committed adultery with another man's wife, Uriah, and she got pregnant, and he began just to try to cover it up, you know, because the consequences were pretty severe. He was the king of Israel. And so he had power, he had means to be able to cover it up. It happened that his, his country, his people were at war, and that Uriah, this, the wife, uh, was Uriah was a soldier, And so he just commanded the general. He said, okay, I want you to put Uriah in the front of the battle. That was his way of eventually covering it up. Once he couldn't get Uriah to be with his wife. And of course, Uriah died. And in David's mind, when that word came back to him, he probably thought, check, I'm good. Covered it. Nobody knows. And you know what? No one did know, except for his captain. Oh, and then God. God always knows be sure your sin will find you out. Now, if you are in a mode where you are covering your sin, you are justifying yourself, you are trying to communicate to everyone how wonderful of a person you are, it may be that you've never seen yourself in light of God's Word, that you are a sinner, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so the reason you're covering your sin it's very natural. But, again, notice what the scriptures say. This is the condemnation that light has come into the world. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Look at verse 20. So, first we had the motivation for covering our sin, then we have the reluctance to uncover our sin. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light lest his deeds should be reproved. I there's a quote and I didn't write it down because I've said it so many times some of you may have it memorized it's it's one of my favorite Spurgeon quotes uh, about being criticized if somebody speaks ill of you Spurgeon said don't think less of him for you are worse than he thinks you to be and it goes on very eloquent you know and and I've come to realize because I don't like to be criticized do you like to be criticized you say, oh, "I love it." I, you know, I haven't been criticized in a couple of weeks, and I'm really I'm looking for someone to criticize me. No, we don't want to. We want people to say nice things about us. But when someone does criticize us, that hurts. And and, and sometimes it's done with malice. Sometimes it's done um, really with n- not from love, and that's we tend to hurt more. But folks, keep in mind, as Spurgeon said, if somebody thinks ill of you. Or speaks ill of you. Don't be mad at him. Because you are worse than he, th- than he thinks. Now if you're offended by that. Let's go back to the law. Whoever keeps the whole law. And yet offends in one point. He's guilty of all. You see when I came face to face with the law. That I spurned as a young man. I, I saw myself. No longer as the good holy altar boy. And I had a, you know, I had a pretty neat, snazzy. It was a red, what do they call them, robe with white on it, and you know, I looked pretty holy, <laughs> if you could say that, you know. And uh, when I wore my Boy Scout uniform on, I had all these merit badges. You had a sash and all that, and I looked, I looked pretty merit worthy. And that's how I wanted to be presented. But on that day and those weeks, when the gospel hit me between my eyes. That robe came off. That that Boy Scout uniform came off, and I saw myself as Bill Fetchick, one of our beloved members, who's still with us, but down in Kentucky, he's still alive. But he would always pray, uh, and we are dirty, rotten, wretched, filthy sinners. And I love that. He'd pray that every time, Lord. You know, we are just dirty, rotten, wretched, filthy sinners. Amen. And whenever I, I quote Bill Fetchick, now I hope you're not offended by that, but some people will be what me a dirty rotten wretched filthy sinner why i never now you always me always too right we are sinners and so it's natural for us to want to cover that sin but he that covers his sin will not prosper folks there are multitudes of people that are good deed doers to think that they're going to get to heaven because of their good works. And they don't realize that you have to be perfect in order to get to heaven by doing good works. No one can be good enough. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Even though there are people that are they do a lot of good deeds. And there's some really nice sinners. You know there really are. There are some really nice kind, condemned sinners. And sometimes that can be a stumbling block. Ask someone this and see what their response is. Say, if you were to die today, you'd think you'd go to heaven? In fact, how would you answer that? Somebody came up to you and said, hey, if you were to die today, do you think you'd go to heaven? Here's the response most of us get when we ask that. Well, I think so. Or, well, I hope so. And then they follow up. Why do you think you'd go to heaven? And here's the normal response. I try to be a good person. Right? You notice that? It's, you know, I, I think I'm pretty good. Or I'm, I'm this religion or that religion. And by the way, being a Baptist, Methodist, ca- Catholic, Presbyterian, it doesn't get you to heaven. And if you think your religion gets you to heaven, and you're Baptist and you come to this church, sorry, this church has never saved anyone because this church did not die on the cross. Jesus did. So, the challenge when David when David committed that sin I was talking about and he just began from what I understand it took it was about 9 to 12 months that David from the time he committed sin his wife got pregnant and he began to, you know, cover his sin and and the plot First, it involved getting Uriah to spend time with his wife because they were at war and he was a good soldier. When that didn't work, that's when he eventually had Uriah put to the forefront of the battle and died. And then, when it came to the culmination and Nathan the prophet came to him to confront him about his sin, he presented a scenario uh, which was really David's situation, but it used other object lessons. And when David did not realize he was being set up, you know, when he saw this, he saw his situation objectively in a story about a man who had a sheep and his neighbor who had a bunch of sheep, and that the one man that had a bunch of sheep took the one neighbor's pet sheep and slaughtered it for his own. I mean, it was a David had no idea as he was hearing this story that Nathan Nathan was talking exactly about him. I mean, and Nathan knew it. Nathan approached David and said, "Hey, David." Listen to this. There's this guy that has one little sheep. He loves this sheep so much. And his neighbor has loads of sheep. He's got flocks of sheep. And so the neighbor, the rich neighbor, is having some guests come. And guess what? Instead of that guy taking one of his multitudes of sheep, he goes over and he, st- he takes that one man's pet sheep and slaughters him. Now, now Nathan knows the whole time. He's like, hey, David, want to hear your situation? Here's your, listen to this little story. Let me, let me tell you, tell me what you think of this. And so he's going along the whole time knowing that he's talking about David and what he did. Uriah had a wife, Bathsheba. It was his only wife, whereas David had multitudes of wives, but it never sunk in. It never sunk in. So David's here in this scenario and he's immediately getting riled up. he's like, "How dare that guy I can imagine Nathan. I wonder if Nathan smirked like, "Oh David, if you only know what's coming out of my mouth any minute now and then and then and then when David really got so self righteous and and you know what, folks, you and I can do this all the time without even realizing it because we tend to see what is done to us way before we tend to see what we're doing to others. And so David's just getting riled up and all of a sudden, and so Nathan says, you know, what should happen to this man? And first, David uses the law. He needs to be restored fourfold, and then in his right self-righteous zeal, he says, and you've got to kill that man. And the last thing David was expecting came out of Nathan's mouth, Thou art the man. And all of a sudden, I imagine, it must have been an awkward moment. I imagine there was some silence as David put two and two together. Lamb, oh no. Uriah, oh no. Oh. And right then and there, as he puts two and two together, he comes down and, and, he, and he breaks. And, and he Repents. Psalm 51, that whole psalm, is David repenting from that sin. But he covered his sin. And so when when God was going to judge him, the Lord made this statement. He said, thou hast done this thing, uh, in in 2 Samuel 12, 12, he says, thou didst it secretly. But David, you're going to be punished. Here's what I'm going to do. You did this secretly, but I will do this thing before all of Israel and before the Son. See, God will expose sin if we cover it. So we have the opportunity to confess our sin. So let's close with this aspect of, you know, confessing sin. Look again at John chapter 3 and um, verse 21. He that doeth truth. It doesn't say he that never sins because nobody never sins. You can sin and still do the truth. Look what it says. He that doeth the truth cometh to the light that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. You see, the sinner that covers his sin is constantly in an effort to make himself look better or her better than she or he really is. Whereas the one that walks in the light makes no qualms about it. Like Spurgeon when he said, if someone speaks ill of you, do not be angry with him because you're worse than he thinks. Spurgeon wasn't condemning everyone else. He knew he was a sinner too. And so if you and I walk in the light, we understand I am far from perfect. I am am evil. I deserve God's judgment. That's someone that walks in the light. So what happens? He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth, and forsaketh them shall have mercy. That's what we need. Now, everyone needs mercy, but not everyone's getting mercy. The people that are covering their sin, that are not confessing, and by the way, the word confess in the scripture literally means to agree with God. When you confess your failures, your weaknesses, your imperfections, it's simply that you're coming to the truth. And you're not making yourself better. You're not making yourself appear better than you are. You're saying, you know what? I agree with you, God. What I did was wrong, and that's the person that gets the mercy, and that's what we need. Now, someone asked. Uh, we were talking this morning briefly. Uh, I don't know if you've been hearing about what's been going on in Kentucky. There's a college called Asbury. I've used it as an illustration because on the campus of Asbury. If there's another branch, I thought it was in New Jersey. It might be the one in Kentucky. But back in 1970, they had what has been posted on YouTube as a revival. In fact, in the one in 1970, the president even spoke. And, and it's a you know, the president gave a good speech about this revival that people were confessing their sins and people were getting right with the Lord. And that's a good thing. Uh, now, I've heard, and this is, I've heard that in some quote-unquote revivals where people just start standing up and confessing sin indiscriminately, uh, that can be the worst thing in the world. Mm-hmm. Because, folks, not all sin should be confessed publicly. In fact, the Bible says it's a shame to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. Mm-hmm. And in some revivals, I've heard that, you know, it ends up, the devil ends up getting his way because people, by confessing inappropriate things in, in, in inappropriate audience. End up defiling people. So confessing God is, confessing your sin is very, very important. And I would remind you that there is a principle that I think is very scriptural, uh, and that is that we need to, um, that secret sin, if it is not criminal, needs to be confessed secretly. And, and there are, again, when you say secret sin, in other words, if there's something that you've done that does not directly affect someone, you know, once you become married now, all of a sudden there's other people involved and all that kind of thing, but usually the sphere of influence of the of the transgression of the sin becomes the sphere of the confession. So if you've done something privately that is not a crime, you need to confess it privately. If you've done something that affects another person, whether it's like gossiping or like a husband or wife, then you need to go and confess that privately. If you've done something publicly, then you need to confess it publicly to the people. You know, if somebody stood up during a church service and they were just so mad at something I said and they they just stood up and interrupted and start, you know, saying all these profanities and all these, and they just, they lost their temper. Well, they would need some, you know, they would need to come back to the, the body of Christ And confess it publicly. But there needs to be such discernment when it comes to confessing. All of our sin needs to be confessed to God. All of it. Because that's primarily... In fact, David, in Psalm 51, when he was getting right, he said, Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. In other words, he wasn't saying, you know, that I haven't offended Uriah's family. I mean, there were some serious things there, people he would need to get right with. He understood my sin is primarily against God. That's who we need to get right with first and foremost. So, again, let the circle of the offense committed be the circle of the confession made. Secret sins should be confessed secretly, private sins confessed privately, and open sins confessed openly. Uh, there's a verse that says, them that sin rebuke before all. And many have used that to, to just run wild with it. And uh, so anyone's sins, other people's sins, they'll confess wildly, publicly, but not their own. And, and you just you have to be so careful. I close with this. I've shared this before. A young pastor just started a ministry in a church. And uh, the senior pastor that was there before him uh, he, this pastor had done something, you know, unwise. He acted very foolishly in something that was said, and uh, and, and it was, you know, he was it, it was basically because of his inexperience as a pastor. And that older pastor took him, and I want to just re- relate this. He said, "In the fall of 2000, I was just beginning a year-long pastoral internship when I made an error in judgment. So it was an, he was an intern under another pastor. He made an error in judgment." Now you and I hear that and we're like, oh, "What did what did he do? I want to know what he did. What did he What did he say? Come on, what, I want to know. We want to know the juice, don't we? We're a bunch of sinners, aren't we? We do. And and he doesn't share that. And well, he shouldn't. He says, "I was just beginning a year long pastoral ins- internship when I made an error in judgment. The senior past me pastor took me for a walk, confronting me." And make sure I understood the implications of my mistake. Ouch. You know, there's a place to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. And this man did this, the pastor. The interesting thing about that conversation, and I'm sure it was an uncomfortable thing. Have you ever had someone point out your failures? You ever had someone that loved you enough to rebuke you? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Wouldn't you rather have someone be brutally honest with you privately than to just say sweet things on one side while they're tearing you apart on the other side? Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. So he says, the interesting thing about that conversation and what I remember most is not the confrontation, but the grace that was offered to me. The pastor made it clear that he was having that conversation with me only because he cared about me and my future. Again, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Debate thy cause with thy neighbor himself and discover not a secret to another. Jesus said, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. He said the pastor made it clear that he was having that conversation with me only because he cared about me and my future. He wrapped his comments in such love that even though I was being confronted, I could hear him and consequently was willing to accept his words of counsel. That, my friends, is the goal. Truth should be so wrapped up in love and grace that it can be heard. Amen. So confessing sin requires great wisdom, but we need to do it. We need to be brutally honest with ourselves about our own sin and before God. And then when we fail others, we need to be willing to confess, to agree with God. And and sometimes that means agreeing with someone else. It means we need to swallow our pride. It's not always easy to do. May God help us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, Father, for the fact that you are merciful, so that if we do not cover our sins but confess our sins by your grace and power for, forsake our sins, we will have mercy. We especially thank you that on Calvary, Jesus paid the full debt of our being a wicked, wretched, rotten, filthy sinner, each one of us. And, Father, I pray there might be some uh, very uh, offended people, some proud people that, that think better of themselves, that just thinking that someone would call them a dirty, rotten, wretched, filthy sinner is offensive. Help them to realize, Father, that before a holy God, every one of us stand condemned and every one of us needs to be saved. And that's why Jesus died on the cross. Father, perhaps there's some folks here today that have not been saved, have not had their sins washed in the blood of Christ. They would admit that they're sinners. They would not argue with that dirty, wretched, rotten, filthy sinner thing. And I pray, Father, that today they would get saved by by coming to the cross, crying out for your mercy, and allowing Jesus Christ to be their substitute and paying the full penalty of their sins. Lord, may may they seek someone out today so that they can get saved and, and be saved forever. We ask your blessing in Jesus' precious name. Amen.